Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode number 102 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. I'm an employment solicitor and HR specialist and I run my own firm, Real Employment Law Advice. Thank you very much for tuning in to this episode of the podcast. This week I'm going to be talking about the high profile case of the Pimlico Plumbers that's recently been decided by the Supreme Court. So without further ado, I'm going to get into this week's featured content. So undoubtedly, you would have seen in the news details about the Pimlico Plumbers case. And even if you haven't paid any attention to the detail, you would have certainly seen the Pimlico Plumbers owner on the news, a rather flamboyant man, apparently, who um, has been talking in very animated terms about the decisions that have been made by the Employment Tribunal, the Appeal Tribunal, the Court of Appeal, and now the Supreme Court. Now, it's an interesting case in that it follows from a number of these gig economy cases, which include Uber and the case against Deliveroo and various other couriers and other gig economy type roles and it's interesting because last year there was the review the Taylor review of work in the UK which was undertaken and which identified this issue with the gig economy which is as a result of changes in the way that we work and the changes in technology. I have dealt with the Uber case previously in episodes 61 and 66 of the podcast if you want to go back and listen to those and within those episodes I'll give a bit more detail about the background to the gig economy and why things have changed. So what was the issue in this case with the Pimlico plumbers? Well the case was brought by a gentleman by the name of Mr Smith who had worked for Pimlico plumbers for around six years from 2005 to 2011. Towards the end of his time with Pimlico plumbers He had a heart attack and was unable to work. And eventually, I understand that the Pimlico Plumbers Company took back their work vehicle and Mr Smith made several claims in the Employment Tribunal. Now, for those of you who don't know, Pimlico Plumbers are a London-based maintenance firm for domestic work, including plumbing services. And they have a number of workers, like Mr Smith, who were contracted on a self-employed basis to undertake work on their behalf. Now Mr Smith brought various claims in the employment tribunal including unfair dismissal and sick pay. He also claimed minimum wage and holiday pay. Now the employment tribunal decided that Mr Smith did not meet the test for an employee so he didn't have employee status and therefore he couldn't claim unfair dismissal. The employment tribunal did however decide that Mr Smith was a worker Now, for the distinction between the two, we need to look at Section 230 of the Employment Rights Act, which states at Part 3, Lim B, in this act, worker means an individual who has entered into or works under any other contract, whether expressed or implied, and if it is expressed, whether oral or in writing, whereby the individual undertakes to do or perform personally 
any work or services for another party to the contract whose status is not by the virtue of the contract, that of a client or customer of any profession or business undertaking carried on by the individual. So what this part of the Employment Rights Act does is create a sort of middleman, if you like, between an employee and a self-employed person. So it creates rights for a certain set of people known as workers. The Employment Tribunal weren't satisfied that Mr Smith was an employee, that he was working under a contract of employment to provide service, but rather they decided that he met this definition, which is known as Lim B. The consequence of being held to be a worker was that Mr Smith qualified for minimum wage and holiday pay and some other rights as well. But Pimlico Plumbers appealed, as you've heard earlier, it went through the Employment Appeal Tribunal and the Court of Appeal who all agreed that Mr Smith was a worker. And most recently, the Supreme Court had the appeal and they also agreed that Mr Smith was a worker. In establishing that Mr Smith was a worker, the Supreme Court looked at, firstly, whether Mr Smith was required to undertake the work himself personally, which is a requirement of the B Section 230 of the Employment Rights Act. And they looked at everything. They looked at the overall picture as well as Mr Smith's final contract with Pimlico Plumbers. And whilst it was agreed that he could send someone else to do the job for him, they had to be somebody who was already under contract with Pimlico Plumbers. So there was a limited substitution there although he could substitute and there was very heavy regulation on what he could and couldn't do. They looked at the whole picture and decided that the dominant feature of the relationship between Mr Smith and Pimlico Plumbers was that he did the work himself and the key really was did he do the work personally and the Supreme Court decided that he did. The second consideration is whether Pimlico plumbers were genuinely a client or customer of Mr Smith. And if they were, so Mr Smith operating a business and providing his services as a professional undertaking to customers and clients, then he wouldn't meet the test of worker. But in this case, they decided that Mr Smith was not marketing his services widely. It was actually through Pimlico plumbers that he was getting his work And whilst operationally and financially he had some independence, there were various very strong conditions under which he was required to work and restrictions on the type of plumbing work he could do elsewhere. And he was restricted from working for competitors, for example, or in competition after he finished his contract with Pimlico Plumbers. And he was required to do things like wear their uniform, his van was provided by them and it had a tracker in it, and there were very tight controls on his administration. And so all of those factors put together meant that the Supreme Court decided that he wasn't working for them as a business, and they weren't his client or customer, but rather he would meet the definition of a worker. So looking at the overall picture of the relationship between Mr Smith and Pimlico Plumbers, it didn't reflect that of a genuinely self-employed person, But neither did it reflect that of an employee. And so the Supreme Court was satisfied when looking at all the factors that he was, in fact, a worker. This means that the case now returns to the Employment Tribunal for them to decide the issues around the pay and claims that he's making. The unfortunate thing about 
these types of cases, so the Pimlico Plumbers case and the Uber case and various others, are that they are very fact sensitive and there isn't any single definition or list that defines how you can establish if somebody is a worker or a self-employed person. And this is causing a great deal of confusion and obviously litigation amongst particularly these gig economy type workers. This was recognised and the unfortunate way in which the law has developed in this area was recognised by the Taylor Review last year. And notably from the Taylor Review, which I'll link to in the show notes of the podcast if you're interested in having a read through because it is quite interesting reading. But what I noted was in their feedback, the Law Society stated in their submission to the Taylor Review, and I'll read it for you because I found it quite interesting, particularly in relation to this issue, is that determining whether you are an employee, a worker or genuinely self-employed requires the ability to understand complex legislation which is spread over many acts and be aware of a mountain of case law. For individuals, not knowing your employment status means not knowing what employment rights you deserve. For businesses, this situation can lead to uncertainty about their responsibilities and what can be demanded from workers. The situation does not need to be this complicated. And it is this complicated situation that's spawning all of these cases. The outcome is that the Taylor Review recommends that the government should replace the minimalistic approach to legislation with a clearer outline of the tests for employment status, setting out the key principles in primary legislation and using secondary legislation and guidance to provide more detail. In the government's response to the Taylor Review, this has actually been accepted. And whilst there's nothing concrete yet, it is likely that there will be a better definition of worker and self-employed person and employed person so that it will be easier for individuals and employers to work out which bracket they fit into depending on how they work. There's even talk in the response of the development of an online tool for people to use that will determine employment status. I'm not really sure how this will work but there are some online tools on the .gov website where you can put in details and establish things like the right to maternity pay I suspect they want to do something similar, but it will mean that the government do have to tighten up on this and make more clearer parameters between the status. So what does this mean for employers and employees now? And how do you really cope with the situation? And how do you work out what an employee is entitled to, or sorry, what a person is entitled to depending on their status? Well, I would strongly recommend that if you have self-employed contractors or self-employed persons who undertake work for you on a regular basis that you have a review of your relationship with them and see exactly how it works on a day-to-day basis and get some advice to determine if they are likely to fall into the category of worker. It's much better to address the issue now and to try to save yourself the costs later on than wait for a person to either run into difficulty with you or to become aware of their potential rights and to take further action against you. I've said it before, I'm sure, but if it looks and feels like something other than a genuine self-employed relationship, you certainly need to get some advice. If somebody is undertaking work for you for their own business purposes and they undertake work for a number of customers and clients, 
and they are able to provide a substitute and you have very limited control over them, it's unlikely that they're going to have developed any rights as a worker. If, however, like Mr Smith, there's a degree of control and there's a limit on what you can do to substitute and there's, in some ways, an ongoing recurring relationship between you, then it's more likely that you will fall into the category of worker or potentially even employee-employer. I will put a link in the show notes, as I said, to the Taylor review and the response from the government. I will also make a note in there so you can have a read of the judgment yourself. Or helpfully with the Supreme Court, they do a short video on the website, which gives you a rundown of the judgment so that you can have a a look at that if you're interested. But I would say, watch this space. There are still more cases going through the system which will be of interest and also I'm sure there will be further legislation on this which will hopefully provide some helpful guidance to employers. Of course, if you're unsure and you'd like some advice and assistance, that's a service that myself and my colleagues can offer you. We provide advice and assistance to employers on all aspects of employment law and HR. We also have our ongoing monthly retained service so that you can get regular advice regular updates and help with your business at an affordable cost where you can budget every single month without having to worry about huge legal costs. If you'd like more details then do get in touch. My email is alison at realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk and finally I just have a little plea. I'm looking for an experienced employment solicitor to come and work with us at Real Employment or Advice from our Isle of Wight office. The ideal candidate needs to have some experience in employment law. However, if they are a solicitor who has primary experience in business or commercial law and would like to learn a bit more about employment law, then we'd be happy to hear from you and would be happy to provide the necessary training. As I say, the role is based on the Isle of Wight, but we would accept somebody who's based in Hampshire who is prepared to come across to the island for two to three days a week with the potential for working at home for the other two days a week. If you're interested or you know anyone who's interested then do send them my way. I'd love to have a chat with them. The Isle of Wight is a fantastic place to live and work and we would welcome the opportunity to have a chat and to show you our beautiful island. You can get in touch again. My email is alison at realemploymentandadvice.co.uk. Once again thank you so much for listening. Thank you for continuing to connect with me via LinkedIn and for your fantastic comments and emails. Do keep them coming. I do love to hear from you and I do hope you have a great week. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you that the information in this podcast is for information only. It's general review and a general update. It's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances. So please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast. But please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice. 